we always sort of talk about being um, being disappointed, but not being disheartened, and and trying to sort of move on for your, from your failures and and see them as a challenge to come back and, and improve for next time. So I, I do my best, but it's no easy task. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. My guest today is Josh Minogue, and in 2008, Josh was at the Australian Olympic Trials, wanting to make the Olympic team that would travel across to London and compete in a number of events there. And on the week of the trials, Josh became sick, and so he wasn't able to compete at the level that he was hoping to and was expected to. And after multiple years of dedicating himself to the sport, to his training, and putting in the effort that was required to get there, he unfortunately wasn't able to make the team. And so after that, Josh turned to Surf Lifesaving or Surf Ironman, and he managed to qualify and compete on the Nutrigrain Series, which is the the highest level of the sport here in Australia, and which is which is televised and, and it's really well known across the country. And he was able to compete at that very top level, but he was ever, never really able to quite make a, a breakthrough to be able to, to win races. He was always just a little bit below. And disheartened by that, Josh became frustrated with the sport and in 2014, he was ready to give it up. And when he was about to throw in the towel, after he'd said he'd thrown in the towel, his coach begged him to give it one more try. And his coach wanted to, for him to compete at the Coolangatta Gold one more time. And, and this is the, the longest surf Ironman race in Australia. It's probably the most well-known one. And it's been won by a number of, uh, a number of really well-known surf lifesavers and it's, it's probably the, the toughest event that you can get in surf lifesaving and josh eventually came back to the sport after his coach had begged him and he his coach said to him look if you i'll never ask you to come back i'll never ask you to compete again if you just give this race one more chance and josh had previously come third in that event four times but was never able to win it and in 2014 the stars aligned and it all came together for him where he was able to win that race. And this episode is about being patient and how patience can pay off. And Josh talks about his experience going through the highs and the lows of sport and where he, he felt like he was never quite at that that top level, but where he persisted, he was able to get that, that big win. And um, had he not gone through those ups and downs through his career, he probably could never have got to winning that cool and get a gold in 2014 and now josh describes him he's now doing triathlon described himself as a, a hack triathlete but he's a he's a very very good triathlete has qualified and competed in kona at the ironman world championships and we also talk a bit about that and, and josh's strength really is the swim leg he's from a 47 minute swim in kona uh this year and uh and is is always in that front pack now let's get into the episode now so Josh, we used to we used to race each other um, back in the day, and I think I think it was at Hobart Hobart Aquatic Center. Um, was <laughs> this, I think I might have been like a long time ago. Yeah, I was like twelve or thirteen. I remember uh, we might have raced against each other um, in a yeah in a in a final there or something. And um, yeah. I just remember sort of seeing you afterwards, and I think you might have been done, and I was done, and we were, we were playing in the kids' pool for a while, um, like <laughs> mucking around. I was like, and I think, and you're you were really at a you know, pretty high level then and I was kind of oh, afraid to, to talk. That. Well, you, you, I think you're, you're a sub two-minute freestyler and I was yeah. uh, hovering just above. And okay. so, if you're quicker than two minutes uh, for the 200, <laughs> you're a big deal. And uh, <laughs> so, I was probably a bit too afraid to say anything but um, I, <laughs> a, a mate of mine, Simon Hearn, I saw some of his posts on the weekend and uh, saw that you raced at the same race and I thought, 
yeah. uh, you'd be a good guest to uh, to get on with uh, your background in uh, in swimming in uh, surf Ironman and uh, and now getting into triathlon. So um, so do you want to just talk uh, a little bit about your background in in swimming to to start with? And it probably feels like a long time ago, but yeah. um, and I mean we look back and geez it goes fast, but. I mean, you were um, you were at a very top level for for quite a few years there. Um, do you want to share sort of what that what that was? Yeah. Oh well, thanks for having me on first and foremost. But um, yeah, I was a, a not a bad uh, junior swimmer coming through. I sort of was at the um, Australian final, um, won a couple of Australian junior titles. I swam a bit of freestyle and a bit of butterfly, and got picked on a couple of Australian junior teams when I was a little bit older, um, like 17 or 16, 17, 18. So I had a good run there, but I sort of, after 18, I never really kicked on to, um, like the goals, obviously the Olympics when you're a, when you're a swimmer and a swimmer in Australia. And I got to the point where I was sort of fourth and fifth in the country over 200 butterfly and, and trying to make those finals in 200 freestyle. So top 10, or pushing on the top 10, but I sort of never really pushed on and um, had some a couple of really good years in around 2006, 2007, and then 2008, the Olympic trials came and I made a change to go to Sydney um, out of Wollongong because I was at Wollongong originally with Ron McKeon and you'd know McKeon as in Emma and David who are currently on the Australian team and um, I trained with Ron my entire life growing up and sort of made a move and thought I needed some training partners to push me on and it just never sort of happened. So I got to those 2008 Olympic trials and um, I probably wasn't good enough to get on the team anyway, but I ended up crook as a dog um, the week before and sort of finished with just finals and semifinals, but never sort of um, got to that level. And I swam with a lot of really good guys. I, I swam against Michael Phelps in 200 Butterfly mid-2006 when he was at his absolute peak of his power. And, and I've got that story I can always sort of talk about and I'm pretty lucky to have that one. So that's my swimming claim to fame. And I guess like so many, it's, um, I guess, a story of what could have been um, if I'd probably, well, not made better decisions, but just sort of taken the path a little bit easier. I sort of got white line fever when I was 14 or 15 and sort of thought I could go to the games and, um, went all in on it. And yeah, it's just, it's funny how the world works, but I wouldn't really change my path for anything because I learn a bunch of really good lessons and, and there's a lot of, a lot of good things you learn out of sort of being disappointed early on in your life and you learn to sort of overcome that and it's not the end of the world if you don't achieve your dream. And, and I'm pretty lucky to have had that lesson at the age of sort of 19. And, yeah, I would, as I said before, I definitely wouldn't change it, although going to the Olympics would be fantastic. Um, it sort of set in motion a bunch of things that have gotten me to where I am today and and I've got a family and a wonderful life up here because of it and I don't know what would have happened if I had gone to the games but I'm yeah I'm pretty content with the way it's turned out now yeah and, and taking those those lessons um early on as well and, and and coaching as you do now how do you convey that to the to the athletes that you coach yeah, I'm lucky to coach it at Sunshine Beach Surf Club um, up on the Sunshine Coast now. So I guess it's hard to tell kids about disappointment and, and I guess you and I would be the same. You, you hear it when you're young and you don't really believe you don't believe it. You think, oh, how can losing be good for me or how can disappointment be good for me? And it's probably something that I try and um, – 
tell the parents as much as the kids that they don't get disheartened when their kid or when their child comes fourth or when they miss the final or or when they get second it's these these losses are good for them in the long run it teaches them humility and it teaches them to to learn from mistakes and to analyze their races because if they're just always winning it just doesn't help um it just well it doesn't create a good uh, personality i guess it or a good mindset and mm-hmm. it tends to be the ones that win all through teenage years that when they do finally come up against a challenge then that's when they sort of they find out well what they're really made of and when it's not so easy um yeah it really sort of opens up their character and i guess i try to impart that on the kids but it's really tough when you got 13 and 14 and 15 year olds who commit everything to a to a goal and they don't get it and how they can see it as a positive in the long run and we always sort of talk about being um being disappointed but not being disheartened and and trying to sort of move on for your from your failures and and see them as a challenge to come back and, and improve for next time so I, I do my best but it's no easy task i've got a lot of um i got a new appreciation for all the swim coaches i had back in the day and surf coaches when i started coaching as well it's not an easy gig mm. No, it's it it is a it is a good gig though. Like I, I'm really glad that I went into this this line of work, and yeah. you like you get to work with get to work with great people, and you get to um, hopefully impart some some of the knowledge that you've picked up along the way. And it's kind of like it's just there's so many different um, moves that you can you can use, and yeah. so many different things that you can say or directions you can steer the athletes that you coach. But um, it's kind of it's a way to be creative as well. Like you get yeah. to kind of um, yeah, just just figure thing figure things out and and try and see what's going to work best for each person. And it's um I really like that that creativity of it where you can you can yeah. have your own style and um yeah and, and like continually learning. Like I I think back to the, when I first started coaching uh, about twelve years ago and um, geez I was such a rookie then and yeah. even now like there's times where I think geez I've got so much to learn. Um, uh, but it's yeah. it, like as soon as you stop learning, I think that's probably when you you should stop coaching and um, yeah. Like, what have you found? Uh, what have you found to be the difference between being an athlete and then being a coach and having to be on the other side of the fence? Oh, the I think the um, being the athlete is is simpler. Like you, yeah, and I sure. was always somebody who really trusted in my coaches, and that was important for me. I I trusted in them wholly, and there was it was an unwavering sort of trust and I think late in my career probably that went out the window when I left Ron and um that was the big thing for me is that I trusted them completely and and I knew that if they told me to swim 100 100s I knew it was good for me so I'd do it with everything I had and I just think if you don't have that trust and and it's just not going to work and that's probably been the toughest thing is developing that trust with the athletes where they know that if they listen to you and they commit wholeheartedly you're committed as well and and you'll get a result in the end and it might not be the result you're looking for but it'll be a result and that's probably been the the um the well the toughest thing or the biggest difference I guess between the two is um, I'm ha- I'm the one making the decisions, and I'm the one who's sort of having to think it through. Whereas, as an athlete, you 
you sort of get, I guess it's not laziness, but you sort of just fall into that. Okay. I'm going to believe in them. I'm going to do the hard work and we'll, we'll come out on the end where the other way around now is it's not so much the physical hard work. It's probably the mental side of it in terms of planning and, and making sure that the path that you're going down is the correct one. And, mm. and that's probably the big thing I've struggled with starting off coaching is just um, knowing or trusting in your, yourself and your own plan and, and your, um, and your and having different plans for different people who have different personalities and different skill sets and that's been the big one is is keeping the faith when it gets tough or when it doesn't seem like it's working or when you might get a couple of bad results in a row that's really been the the hard one so far and and something i'm having to learn to deal with and i've been lucky to have some great coaches in my life some really really fantastic coaches both in swimming and in surf and now in triathlon as well so i just continually try and learn i've no doubt in the world that i'm not the best coach um going around um but i'm one who's willing to work the hardest and one who will listen and um i guess steal from other coaches and learn and grow and adapt and and not just be set in my ways so that's probably one area that i've I've really enjoyed coaching is stealing from people and and seeing how they do it at different surf clubs or different swim coaches or different um, coaches from other sports and stuff, just stealing from them and trying to adapt that into our own program. So it's definitely not an easy gig. That's, that's for sure. But it's one that's fulfilling and worthwhile when you have those kids um, trust in you and commit to you fully and you get to commit back and, and chase a, I guess, chase a, a mutual goal. And are you enjoying the combination of, of training, doing the triathlons now and uh, yeah. and also being able to, to coach? Do you find that if you're continuing to work for something that it helps you with your coaching? Yeah, and it, it keeps me sane as well. I don't think I yeah. could go into um, no exercise and stuff like that. And, and I guess it keeps it a little bit real for me as well. Like I always say to the kids, I'd never set them something that I wouldn't be able to do myself or that I wouldn't do myself. So there's that element of keeping it real. Like if I, if we do a run or if we do um, a set in the surf, if I go, Oh geez, I'd never do that. Or I couldn't do that. Then it's not really appropriate. And I think sometimes if you're too far out of the sport or too far removed, you just forget what it really takes and what it's like and, and that. So I sort of stay in the water a little bit and I make sure that I'm I'm there doing a couple of sessions as well on the outside because it, if I can't do it, then there's no way that they, they're going to be able to do it. Or if I struggle to, then some of them probably will, but the majority will just walk away. So yeah, I, I enjoy doing that triathlon element and it's just a personal goal thing as well. Like I think everybody's got to have goals and challenges and that's a big one for me is um, – there's challenges sort of professionally and in terms of relationships and away from sport, but I've always got to have like a sporting goal as well to chase. And it seems like I've just got a really silly one at the moment with this whole Ironman thing and I'm loving it, but um, it's definitely not easy. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's what I found. Like I've done a season of triathlon and I'm just uh, about to get back into it. And uh, I I enjoyed the, like trying something new, like the the running, I'd always sort of run a bit, but, um, or the biking, I, I still suck at, and uh, I've got to yeah. get a lot better at. And um, like, but it is it is good doing something new and being challenged that way because, firstly, the the improvement that you can make can be so dramatic. And when you're at the that higher end of the or the top end of the the field, like especially if you were swimming and surf yeah. Ironman, like it's you know, the, the the improvements are so marginal. But when yeah. you're trying something new, you really get those those big gains, and that can be quite quite fun. And I think the 
the, the like the sanity aspect of it too like it gives you something to really just dial your focus into and and also the the physical side of it where like if i'm physically fit mentally i'm 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 the same as well but if i'm mentally fit and then physically not doing anything like it's they it, the physical for me often comes uh comes first i find like if i get that right the rest falls yeah. into place yeah Oh, it keeps me out of trouble. I always say, like, if <laughs> if I'm if I'm riding a couple of hours in the morning and and running in the afternoon or swimming or whatever it is, then I'm not going to go and have six beers after work on a Friday afternoon kind of thing. Like, I I'm going to go home and do a session and go to bed. And you're spot on. I, there's something to be said about challenges that are hard and that really test you. And and there's a lot to be said about doing something completely out of your comfort zone and sort of similar to you while swimming while they've got the same name like Ironman and and Surf Ironman they're just so different um I found riding the bike so difficult and or difficult to get fast on and and that's been sort of the best part for me that it's such a challenge and it's not easy because I don't think um I think if you get caught doing easy things you just take soft options everywhere in your life and I guess it's one of the big things I push on the kids is the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And if you're willing to accept a big challenge in one area of your life, you're probably willing to do it in other areas. And, mm. um, and if you're working hard, um, sort of in the fitness area and you're keeping yourself in a good place, then I guess you're doing the same mentally and at work and, and with your family and stuff like that as well. And it, it's, it sounds really airy fairy, but I just feel like it works. Like if you can find a challenge that you're willing to overcome, um, yeah, in the sporting arena, I bet you you'll look for challenges in terms of your professional career and in terms of other areas, and and that'll make for a more fulfilling sort of life. And yeah, it's something that I've sort of only embraced the last couple of years. I was always happy to um, in clubbies like to do the same things over and over in the same sort of um, I guess the same races and and guys that I knew I'd beat or the guys that I knew I'd sort of I could race against and now it's like well I want to take on the best in the business and even if I get smacked up at least I've accepted the challenge and I can come back next year and see just how much better I can be. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with that. Like you, you focus in on 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 one aspect or you get you, you challenge yourself on one aspect and that plays out to the other areas of your life like say you got 10 things yeah. sort of 10 areas of your life that um that are happening let's say two of those are going well eight of those aren't going well if you focus in on those two that are going well i, I find that that trend that will then transfer across to those other aspects of it and yeah. so um, the same 100%. thing goes with like, yeah, with challenging yourself and um, and going about it that way. And I mean, what was your, what was your transition from swimming to, to surf Ironman like? And was there like, in terms of your actual swimming, like what did you have to, uh, is, was there much you had to sort of change there with like, with the stroke, with how you trained? Yeah. How'd that go? Well, I, yeah. So in, after the 2008 Olympic trials, I think that was in May, um, I didn't know what to do. I moved home from Sydney to Wollongong, was living with mum and dad, trying to get uni finished. And um, I'd always wanted to do, I'd always gone to the Aussie titles in terms of surf, but I'd just done the surf race or I'd go around in the Ironman and kind of get knocked out in the semi or something because I wasn't wasn't doing any ski or board work. So I then, when I got home, my old man said to me, oh, do you want to do the cool and go to gold? It's on in six months and it'll give you something to train for. And it's, and I could sort of get round reasonably, but I wasn't very good. So I got home and decided, well, 
yeah, okay, I'll do that and got a job at home and, and just sort of started training towards that. And I had no idea and was training on my own and sort of didn't really, um, know what was up at all. And I just sort of do long sessions. I just paddle as hard as I could, as long as I could. And then there was a couple of groups around town, um, in terms of like board and ski, there was some guys like um, David Smith who won an Olympic gold medal for kayaking and he was a really good swimmer when we were young as well actually and Hayden White and Ali Day and those sorts of guys were training. So I jumped in with them on ski and board and then swimming I went back to to Ron at um, – at Wollongong there and I didn't really have to change that much like I'd done a lot of surf swimming as a kid so it came really naturally like I just spent all day every day in the surf and it wasn't a big deal and there are differences in terms of your stroke and stuff like that but for me it was always inbuilt and I guess it's hard when I see a lot of the guys maybe you're coaching in that that are coming to surf swimming or open water swimming late in their life and it's just such a foreign environment for them they I know they feel like I'm getting dragged under or I'm going to drown or I can't get a clean stroke whereas for me it was always oh we're surf swimming now I'm Mm -hmm. just going to surf swim and and that was something I was lucky to have like I grew up at the beach we'd spend every day of every we'd just spend every day at the beach like I'd go swimming training I'd come home from school go to the beach for half an hour and body surf and then get in the car and go swimming training at 4 30 kind of thing like it was just another part of life so it just came really easily in terms of that swimming but it was the other elements the board and ski that really sort of made me struggle and and that had an effect on my swimming as well because it's not – it's sort of different muscle groups and that affects your swim. And I always found out through – found through my clubby career when I was racing in the Kellogg Series or when I was training for the Cool and Go to Gold or the Aussie titles that if my ski paddling was going really well, my swimming would sort of struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I had to be really conscious of sort of letting that go and understanding that, well, yeah, my swim's not fantastic at the moment, but it's good enough and my ski's going a little bit better or my board's going well. And um, I sort of had to take a backward step and just let my swimming go for a little bit and, and not go as in – disappear but when you go from swimming 10 11 sessions a week back to five or six sessions a week you've naturally got that drop off and you sort of have to find the level again and and it levels itself out after sort of 12 months and and you figure out that okay i'm this is where i'm at now and you sort of i guess you reset your pbs and what you want to hold at training and what's acceptable and and then you go again and you try and build that back up off five or six sessions a week rather than 10 or 12 like Mm. i went from trying to swim um, sub 350 for 400 to just being happy to go, hey, I'm going to go four minutes or 405 kind of thing and that's all 355 and that's good enough kind of thing and that's all you sort of need to be able to swim at the top level to to be effective. So it was kind of just a big reset going back into clubbies and, and then I moved from – well, I drove. I went to the Sunshine Coast for a training camp to train with Michael King at the Malulabar Club, and I remember ringing Dad about two days in, and I said, "Look, I'm not coming back." And he he sort of laughed at me and said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Oh, actually, I'm going to drive home, pack my car up, and then drive back to the Sunshine Coast and just move <laughs> up here." And and he was really supportive and stuff. And he said, "Look, you're only 19. Like, give yourself two or three years and see if you can." and chase this dream and it had always sort of been a little a dream of mine when I was a kid to be 
an Ironman. Like I'd looked up to him as a kid and watched the likes of Darren Mercer roll around and and Michael King and Reese Drury and and Phil Clayton and those sorts of guys that were famous and they were making money and they were going to the beach every day. And I decided if I wasn't going to chase that Olympic swimming dream that I was just going to give it a go on the Sunshine Coast and see if I could become an Ironman. And I got really lucky to move into the Sunshine Coast with a bunch of good young up-and-coming guys um, like Matt Poole and um, and had Jack Hansen and there was Gemma Newbigin here and, and a bunch of other sort of good – Cam Cole and a bunch of other sort of good up-and-coming Ironman that were sort of 19, 20, 21 and we all moved in here together and – and I guess the rest is history for us. Like most of those guys went on to be in the Ironman series for a long time. Some of them still are. We had the likes of Ali Day, Matt Bevelacqua, Hayden White, um, Kendrick Louie move in. We had um, you name it. They all went through Malulabar at one point. We were probably the strongest, if not the second strongest um, Ironman group in the country. And I just got so lucky to find a guy, a coach like Kingy, and a group like that to look after me as a 19 year old. And yeah, they're, they're still my mates now. I still, they were in my bridal party when I got married earlier this year. And, um, they're still some of the best in the business. Like Pooley's leading the Ironman series and we lived together for eight years. And I think I moved out and he became a whole lot better. So maybe I'm a bad influence <laughs> on, on him. <laughs> and you, uh, um, I remember hearing that you were about to give up the, the surf Ironman and then, uh, you, you, Coach Kingy said you should give the Cool and Gator Gold another crack because you'd, you'd come yeah. third four times. I'm, yeah, I three. I so I sort of I was in the series for six years in the end, or yeah, I think I had six years in the series, and I'd have a good year and a bad year, and I'd be injured and I'd be up and down, and it was just it became really draining on me, and I had some really good results where I got some. Um, some good race results for me kind of thing against some great competition. Like I, I had some sprints up the beach with Shannon Eckstein for thirds and fourths. And I went to Perth and won a couple of big races over there. And I, I did, I was good, but I was never sort of top level contender for the overall series. I could get a race off here and there and be competitive, but, and I got towards the end well, I got towards my 30s and I just wasn't making enough money. I was I was really poor and I was making enough to get by and and thought, oh, I'll get a real job and ended up becoming a sports journalist on the Sunshine Coast. And then every year, well, every couple of years, I'd have to go back to the Kellogg's trial. They'd, they'd be automatic qualifiers from the year before, let's say top six. And if you fell outside of that, you had to go back to a trial and you'd train all winter and get yourself ready for one day where if you finished in the top, 10 you'd get in and if you missed out you have to wait 12 more months to go back and um by then i was just over going to the trial i'd finish like seventh or eighth or ninth every year and i'd have to go back to this trial year on year on year and get in and i just i was over it and got to the trial in september of it must have been 2013 13 no 2014 yeah 2014 and got to the trial and was doing really well and had trained really hard and was out in front by a mile in the first race and it was three races and basically all you had to do was sort of get two good results and and then you could have one shocker and it'd be enough to get through like it wasn't brutal 
But I first race, mile out in front, I got smacked by a wave and my ski went about 100 metres up in the air. And I remember when I popped back up, I could see it still going up in the air and it was, it came down into about a thousand pieces and washed into the beach. And, and so I was out and got no points in that first race, which meant there was no chance I was getting through. Mm. And I decided I was done at that point. I wasn't, there was nothing you could tell me, nothing you convinced me to make me ever do another Ironman race again. I was just so over it. Like I had no money. I was, um, yeah, I was working a full-time job. I was training outside of that. So I'd get up at 4.30 and then wouldn't get home until about 9.30 or 8.30 at night and do that sort of five days a week. And I was just done. Um, and so I just drank for I legitimately just drank for about two weeks and like partied and sort of went out every night and had an absolute blast. It was so much fun. But, um, but about two weeks later, Kingy rang me and he's as close to a father figure as I've had outside my dad, along with Ronnie McKeon sort of thing. And he rang me and he's like, I can't see you do this to yourself. Like you've done too. And I was in good form. Like I was in as good a form as I'd ever been in my whole entire life. And it was just really bad luck to cop one on the chest and sort of end my trial. Like I would have just rolled through the trial and got in no stress at all. The guy who ended up winning the trial was training with us day in day out. And I was as good, if not better than, he was so I know I would have got through if it wasn't for that wave and so he just said to me look mate I can't see you do this to yourself like do one can you please do this gold for me we've got it might have been eight weeks he's like we've got eight weeks to prepare please 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 and I just kept saying no and then in the end I made him a deal that if I said yes this one last time he'd never ask me again to go and train or to go and race and we were done and we agreed to it and I went back to training the next day and did eight weeks with one or two other guys because everyone else was racing for all well, training for the Kellogg series that year and and I just did this cool and got a goal work. I did it with a young kid named Alex Wright who's a great little competitor and still um, race as well and um, nobody gave me a chance in the world of winning that day. Kane Stein had won five uh, five of the last six, I think at that point. And I'd gotten third, um, three times twice to him and once to Ali day. And like, I was good, but I just, nobody gave me a shot. I think he was a dollar five favorite and I was, I would have been a hundred bucks. I'm pretty sure. And I love my old man to death, but I'm pretty sure he had money on Kane that day to win, (laughs) (laughs) to win the race. And that's not a word of a lie. I think he might add a hundred on him to try and make a little (laughs) bit of money back. Um, and he just, Kane had just done the um, the world record of for chin-ups in 24 hours. He'd done like four and a half thousand, or no, maybe seven and a half thousand chin-ups. He'd taken that record from Dave Goggins, you know, the Instagram, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the motivational guy. So he'd just broken the record from Goggins. And I think he'd hurt his – well, he hadn't really been training enough, I don't think, skiing board. And I think he hurt his uh, bicep a little bit early in the race. So we line up and nobody really believed I could win. They were sort of thinking, oh, Josh will get a, a second and um, that'll be a good way to end his career or a third and that'll be a good way to end his career and happy days. Um, and I get off the ski about maybe seven or eight minutes down on Kane and I just – I got off the ski and apologised to my handlers and were like, I'm not I'm not doing – like, I'm sorry, this is – I'm so far down, like, this is not my day, like – 
I'm yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Like legitimately apologised and just thought, oh, I'm going to finish thirteenth here at best. Um, and then I got into the swim and I just got a rhythm together. And you know, we spoke about before about different surf swimming. Like, I guess the one big difference is you got to get your rating up. And I just decided that I was going to rate up as high as I possibly can and and see how many guys I could pull back or how many minutes I could pull back. And in the end, I think I swam five minutes off Kane or something in that swim and I was only two and a bit minutes down and when I got to the beach the boys were sort of losing it and they're like mate you can get him on the board if you really really have a go and I thought if I could be close to him on the board I'd be able to outrun him and I still believe that to this day but we got about halfway through the board and Kane um, his bicep had gone and he was sort of floating along and I paddled past him and um and I think a lot of people got this confused. I sort of said to him, I said, jump on, mate, and we'll get to the end. And I think people thought I meant jump on my board and I'll paddle you to the end. But what I actually meant was jump on my wash and mm. I'll drag you to the end because I genuinely didn't want him to finish out there, if that makes sense. Like I mm. wanted to, if I was going to beat him, and even at that point I wasn't 100%, I wanted to beat him fair and square and full-blown and outrun him kind of thing. So... Because um, he was the best athlete, I'd, well, the best long-distance athlete I'd ever seen at that point. And he'd done Kona, the Hawaiian Ironman the year before and had to pull out of that on the run. And I just thought I could outrun him. And he sort of went for a little bit further, but they ended up pulling the pin. And and I couldn't believe it. Got to the run and, and just kept rolling and ended up winning by 10 or 12 minutes in the end. And, um, and the final race of my career was probably my best. And I made enough money to get a house deposit and all the problems that, um, that I'd had sort of six months earlier kind of disappeared. Like I had people sort of wanting to sponsor me and, um, and money for the first time. And I was winning races and I was kind of relevant and, but I'd promised Kingy that I was never going back and, (laughs) good to my word. Um, I decided that was that and enough was enough and walked away like that. So it was yeah, easily the best day I've had of racing ever in my entire life and the most memorable, but it probably, it wasn't memorable for winning. Like that was awesome, but it was memorable because of the people that were there and, and the way it all sort of came about. And if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Kingy, Michael, um, I would have, would never have lined up in a million years. So I owe him and I will always owe him for, for doing that for me. So yeah, it's, it's a crazy story for me and, and yeah, it's, I just got really lucky on the final day sort of thing. And we spoke about before, or when I spoke at the start about swimming, I feel like all those results and missing out on the Olympics and all those sort of close ones, I all sort of ha- I had a little bit of karma on that day. Like, mm. I don't think I probably deserved to win the gold that day, but I'd done a hell of a lot of work and I probably deserved a result in swimming somewhere along the way. And it's funny how the world works and, and I finally got a result, but it came eight years later, um, or sorry, seven years later, um, yeah, in an Ironman race rather than a 200 butterfly or a 200 freestyle. So, yeah, it was good and I'm very proud of it to this day. And so after after that, probably the one of the highest highs of your, your life, what, what was it like then knowing that you weren't going to compete compete again in surf Ironman? Were you, was there a time where you felt a little bit lost because that was you know what you've been doing for such a long time? Where, yeah. where were you at in terms of uh, like mentally and then sort of 
um, with like, the prospects of, of work and everything, where were you at? Yeah, and I was on like I was on cloud nine for weeks and weeks afterwards, and um, I just started dating my eventual wife at that point, Taryn, and we I was just enjoying life like it was rad. I had such a good period, but it was probably six months later when I was like, oh, I need to find another outlet kind of thing, and there was a big change up in that period. Um, a lot of the boys on the Sunshine Coast moved to the Gold Coast for clubby, so I sort of lost that group of I could go swimming with in the morning or I could go and have a paddle with in the afternoon. And so I decided that I needed another challenge and um, and I guess triathlon was it and decided to jump on and um, – and I'd always sort of watched Ironman as a kid. I'd watch Kona like everyone and they all tell the same story, like Wild World of Sports. Um, you'd watch it there and you'd see these guys sort of hammer it out. And I have very a little doubt that it's the hardest race on the planet. Um, and it's the hardest race on the planet, not because it's just physically tough, but it's so competitive as well. Like you can get guys at age groupers and stuff like that who are just animals out there. And, and I just sort of thought, Oh, well, I'll get a bike and see how I go. And I ended up getting through a friend of a friend, um, getting in contact with a coach, Brett Davidson and, um, box has been so good to me and he sort of guided me through it. And I started really slow and I had some hiccups and I, you know, I was in and out and up and down, but yeah, it's been a fantastic journey and eventually got to Hawaii and, um, last year, got to Hawaii last year and yeah, it is the greatest day in sport without a shadow of a doubt. So, and I kind of want it, well, I definitely want to go back in 2020. So that's the next goal, but yeah, triathlon was a savior. It, um, I didn't want to go back to clubbies. I felt like I'd done, not had done everything I could do, but there was nothing more there that was sort of motivated me at all. And I, I would have loved to win a Taplin relay, which if, people listening don't know that's where you have two board paddlers two ski paddlers two swimmers and it's probably it's the last event of the season at the australian championships and so much emotion goes into it and it's so tough to win and i think we ended up with maybe four silvers and two bronzes over the years all to northcliffe the best club in the world so um I just wanted to win one of those so bad. And then when the boys sort of broke up and went to different clubs and moved to the Gold Coast, that possibility went out the window as well. So I think it was like there was no more goals there. And I just thought, well, what's the next hardest thing I can do? And and that's um, punish yourself for nine <laughs> hours in a triathlon. So, yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a wake-up call. Yeah, and that's uh... – it's funny how you keep like you keep coming back to similar but slightly different sports, but all ones that are very very physically demanding. And yeah. um, but I think that's like I've sort of found that like I've I still still primarily swim, but um, we'll get back into triathlon. But um, I've done a bit of running, and it's just like for me that's where I find so much enjoyment and um, and being I, I love the feeling of being fit and healthy and you know being out in the sun and um just like coming from that from that space then everything else yeah. tends to um tends to go well and it's um there's really there's really peace in in the physic the physical exertion and in those events where it's it's incredibly hard and when i i built up and did an ironman in 2016 did the taupo yeah. one and i've yeah, never nice. suffered that hard at the the last last <laughs> I like love it 10 well it's probably the last like 20 k's the run really but the last 10 k's the run i've never been in that 
that space before and uh like at the time it, it it really sucks but it's one of those things that sucks at the time but you look back and go that was awesome i'm i'm so glad i i did it and you know if you can bring that sort of feeling on yourself on a somewhat regular basis i think yeah. that um that really makes you feel alive i think that and there's like a i think it's cameron haynes who's like the ultra marathon runner and bow hunter and stuff and he's like there's two types of fun it's the fun that you're having at the time but you don't really remember it and then there's fun that like sucks at the time but you'll remember it fondly for the rest of your life and that's what these sorts of things are i think they're they suck at the time but you've got the stories to tell and you've got that sense of accomplishment and all those positive like things along the way and you're spot on like i had some really i guess warped role models as a kid like and not warped in a bad way but guys who were i looked up to guys like dean mercer who'd go out and train for six hours straight and or like some of the like you look at guys like grant hackett or those guys who just like to be hard for a long long time and um like 200 butterflies like it's a stupid event and it hurts and it's miserable but it like it's so much better than swimming a 50 freestyle or a mm. or a whatever it is like it, they're the tough ones i used to love 200 freestyle because it was all in from the start and yeah. it was more way more pain than all the other events and and I don't know, I've always been drawn to those sorts of things. So Ironman was a perfect fit. And I guess that's why I was drawn to the gold as well, because it's the toughest test in surf sports. Like it's four and a half hours and and people go, oh, well, four and a half hours, that's like half of what an Ironman is. But you're also battling against the elements. Like you could be punching into the wind for three out of those four and a half hours kind of thing like and then there's surf and then there's the other competitors and then you've got to overcome all the other things that go along with it like it's not easy at all and that's what sort of drove me to it and and yeah like you said it's those challenges that you really discover um what you're made of and who you are and and um yeah that fatigue makes cowards of us all kind of thing and you've just got to figure out whether you like whether when you get to that point there's really anything there or you just all talk on the start line because there's so many people that are just all talk on the start line and when it gets to hour six or seven or eight are they saying the same thing or are they doing the same thing and that's the real um yeah the real revealer of character i guess and yeah it's great it's i man especially because it's just such a tough day and so much and it's such a roller coaster like it's so up and down like um, and for me, I think it's a little bit easier. Normal people just hate the swim at the start. Like for them, it's an hour 15 of absolute misery to start the day. Whereas for me, it's like 45 minutes of the easiest, most clean open water swim you'll ever have. And you start the race out in front. It's just so much fun from then on out. And yeah, I get passed by a thousand guys on the way through, but it's, yeah, I just love it. Like it's such an addictive um, thing and it's such a tough test and if you ever go to Hawaii and you watch the race you understand how um, how important it is to some people and how tough it can be for those guys out there guys like Craig Alexander or Jan Fredino or those guys like they truly are some of the best athletes on the planet bar none because they mightn't be the strongest or the fastest but they suffer the longest and I think that's something that sort of is overlooked and it's something that draws me in every time yeah and they like they make it look so easy like you look at yarn at, at kona makes it look so yeah. easy and you think oh okay it's like it's another day out for him but 
inside, he he's got to be suffering so hard to oh. to be able to put up to hold that speed for that long and to be able to do it so consistently as well. Like he's just um, he's just incredible, especially over the last few years. You look at how far ahead he is of the the rest of the field. Like it's just uh, oh yeah, it's a real um and the. So you go. Yeah, sorry. It, there's some. Yeah, there's just and there's some guys in different sports that make it seem that way. Like Phelps yeah. is the same, and and Grant Hackett was one. Like, like you look at you watch his swim in Athens in 2004, and he just looks so good the whole way through. He makes it look so comfortable, and then he gets out and he almost collapses when he stands up on the block yeah. and. And like Crowey was another one of those in triathlon, and there's guys like Shannon Eckstein in Surf Ironman, and they're the guys that, um, it, like it hurts them, but they just don't care. Like it, there's a, a goal that's more important than the fact that it hurts. Like, and a few people have said to me in the past, like pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, and that's the attitude. Like they don't suffer; they're in pain, but they're not suffering. Whereas people like me or your regulars, like we suffer through the last couple of hours. And I think that makes it worse. Whereas they're in pain, they understand it and they just move on. And I think that's a part of being a professional athlete that is overlooked, the ability to just deal with it and get the job done anyway. Mm. And over the next sort of five years or so, what what would you like to to not necessarily be, be doing, but what sort of, how would you like to be helping the, the guys that you're working with and and competing like the sport that you're doing at the moment so what are you working towards and and what are some of those challenges challenges that you want to continue to to face yeah i guess going back to hawaii is a big one like i went there and and um got humbled pretty badly kind of thing i swam really well off the front um i think i swam 47 high on the swim and um rode really well and then ended up sort of just a walking zombie in the run so personally that's the big goal is to um to get back to hawaii and just put in a better day than that like i don't think i'll ever be a professional triathlete or anything like that but if i can put in a a strong sub nine hour or something like that that'd be pretty rad and then on the work front um I'd love to coach guys that go to the highest level and I'd love to coach Kellogg's iron women or iron men and, and sort of help them achieve their dream. But it's, it's probably not the focus for me. It's probably helping each kid when they come through, figure out what they, what they want to get out of the sport and then helping them get to that point. Um, Mm. It's, everyone wants to be on TV and everybody wants to do all those things. But for some kids, it's like, Hey, I just want to be the third person in the board relay, or I want to get to the state final, or I want to go from not being able to get out around the cans and back in. And it's definitely not as glamorous as being the coach who has the guy who wins, but it's certainly just as fulfilling. So for me, I've got some great kids who can definitely make it at the top level if they choose to, and I'll be there and support them 100% the entire way. But I'm more about finding out what each kid wants and, and helping them get there and helping them overcome challenges and challenges that are away from the beach as much as the ones that are on the beach because kids have a tough time and and these kids are are great young kids but they also have to deal with school and friendship groups and social media and all those sorts of things so if i can be one of the positive outlets um in their life and and sort of have an impact like some of the coaches had on my life um i still ring 
both Ronnie and, and Kingy all the time and ask for advice about everything except surf and swimming kind of thing. I still talk <laughs> to them and like about life and all these sorts of things. And I just hope one day that I guess that's my goal over the next five years is I can have relationships with these kids where they feel like they can ring me and ask for advice. And if they need help, call and 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 not be afraid to ring and say hey i made a mistake what should i do because that's more important than gold yeah. silver and bronze at the end of the day these kids are some of them will be champions i have no doubt about that but a lot of them won't be and it's probably more important that i have a positive impact on their life rather than um helping them paddle out around three cans and back to the beach super fast because i don't know when they're 60 or 70, whether that'll be all that important on their list or whether it's, hey, you helped me through that tough time. And and that's probably the big one for me. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good uh, good goal as a coach. Isn't it? It's a sign of a coach where the, the athlete can come to you and, and talk about things, challenges they might be having in their life and, and teaching and teaching those life skills that, that they may not be getting at home. They may not be getting at school. That's or that's where maybe, I think you have the biggest. But maybe they they are getting them at home. But may a lot of the time they just don't listen to their parents. Like yeah. I'm not saying my message is any different to their parents, but sometimes it's just got to come from a different um, source. And mum and dad, like it happens all the time. You you're too close to, or the kids are too close, and they feel like that they can they can sort of lash out and say like, hey, if you like no matter what I say to you, I know you're going to love me. So they sort of take it out on their parents. Whereas if it comes from a coach or a teacher or a family friend, they tend to listen a little bit more and it doesn't get drowned out in the wash of, hey, get ready for school and all these other things. And yeah, that's probably the big one for me is like I don't know any more than parents do, but sometimes it's just a different voice that that has a bigger impact. Mm. Yeah, I was um, contacted by a parent uh, this week actually and she said, uh, look, our daughter, she's having trouble. Uh, like when she gets to the, to the race on the blocks, like she just counts herself out. She looks at the other yeah. competitors and, and then just overthinks it and thinks she's not good enough. And um, and she said like, yeah, myself, my husband and trying to like, you know, talk her through it and give her some things to, to help. But like I just knowing knowing what it's like, you know, you just, they're not going to listen to their parents no matter yeah. how good athlete they were or how good yeah. coach they might be. It's like, it's got to come from, from someone else. And I think that lesson has got to be learned in the, in the doing, it's not going to necessarily come from what someone says. Yeah. So, that's it. And I, yeah. And I said, look, we'll be better off, you know, doing some, doing some sessions and some training sessions and, and just get her to build up that confidence in, yeah. in the pool first. And then she can yeah. translate that into the races and, um, yeah, it's, that's, it's, it's a, it's good to know that, um, like that's what the, what the real benefit of being a coach is or, or how you yeah. can really help people. Cause as you said, looking back in even like five, 10 years, how fast that person goes or how, you know, how fast yeah. the swimmer goes for a hundred meters, probably not going to make a, a, a big difference in this grand scheme of their life, but it's, uh, it's the other stuff around it. Yeah. And I learned that from like Ron McCann's a perfect example. He had his daughter, Emma, just missed the Olympics as a 14 year old. And when she got a little bit older, he told her that she had to go and get another coach because that wasn't the relationship wasn't working as and not the relationship had broken down, but you need someone other than dad telling you 
there, hey, you need to swim this and do that. You need dad as well as coach. And he and Emma went off to Brisbane and, and grew as an athlete and their relationship's fantastic. And uh, like it showed me, and she won the most Olympic medals in Rio of any Australian. And he was good enough to know that, hey, her needs come before mine. And as dad, I need to let her go. And he's was the Australian open water head coach at that point so you know he's a fantastic coach and all that and could have got into those medals as well but sometimes that second voice is just so much more important or so or equally important in reinforcing those messages mm. yeah and i like my my dad was my coach growing up up until yeah. uh, 18 how and, did that go well it was really it was really good because he like when we got home, there was never any talk at the dinner table. Like yeah, you, didn't pu- you didn't push hard enough in that set or like there was none of that. And yeah. so that's what made that relationship um, work. Good. So, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I was never at that that level where I was, yeah, I was kind of just off Australian Open qualifying times. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, there wasn't that uh, that need to sort of go elsewhere. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, but had it, like I've seen, I've seen parents who coach their kids who won't who who will take it to take it home and take it to the dinner table and it, yeah. it just doesn't last because that's not what you want from a parent you want um yeah. I, I heard um a guy ben i think it's ben crown he was he works with the richmond tigers and yeah. um he was being interviewed on on sen and um, talking to gary Lyon and and someone else and one of the things that he said about being a, a parent is all you all you really need to say is to your kid is i love watching you swim or i love watching you you know, play play footy. It's not. I love watching you get that gold medal, or I love watching you swim fastest. I just I love watching you do whatever whatever it is that you do. And yeah. I think that's a such a good and simple message because yeah. you know the kid takes that and go, oh, mum dad loves watching me. You know, play footy. Like that's that's all it needs to be, and that's and the best way you can support your kids. Yeah, and I think it needs to be the um that needs to be the first message. Like, and yeah. I'm not saying don't tell your kid, oh hey you you could have done this a little bit better or whatever. But as long as it's not, that's not the first message. The first message is, hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, you did a really good job. Um, it was fantastic. And and then when the kid knows that, they're more, probably more accepting of any advice you've got to give kind of thing. And mm. whereas if it's just, oh, hey, you missed that goal or you you were slow over the third 50 or whatever it is, that that's when it becomes – hey, I've got two coaches here and I'm not looking for two coaches. I'm looking for a coach and a mum and dad, not um, somewhere. And it seems like you and your old man had that perfectly, like coach on pool deck. And then when you get home, it's dad. And that's what it's all about. Like that's the good balance that you need to have. And most of the parents that I've got are, are fantastic like that. They're really, really good. Um, they understand and and it's been really, really refreshing because you hear horror stories about um, – kids sport or kids sport parents but i'm really lucky in that sense that they let me be coach and for the majority their mum and dad which is yeah fantastic and and everyone wants the same thing at the end of the day they just want their kids to be successful and they want them to be happy like mm. that's the most important thing out of all of them and if i if i could end up finishing up here with all my kids enjoying it and happy and and having fun then i've done my job and if we win some stuff along the way that's pretty cool too 
Matt, it's been great chatting to you. And uh, for those people that are listening, you have your own podcast, which is based oh, around. So you you sell yourself too short. Okay. <laughs> too kind. But uh, no, it's called called around the can. So do you want to uh, talk a little bit about that? And uh, for anyone who's interested in in surf, surf clubs, clubs and that kind of thing, yeah, yeah what's uh, how's the best way to find it, and uh, how'd that all come about? Yeah, so we, um, my best mate Jack Hanson, who is possibly one of the best coaches in the country or is one of the best coaches in the country in surf life saving um one of the best youth coaches that's for sure he has a connection with kids and he's unbelievable um we're best mates and we love surf life saving so we just put out a weekly podcast about surf life saving um it's pretty it's pretty hardcore surf but we just have a bit of fun with it nothing too serious and um yeah it's pretty low-key we talked to some some former competitors as well we've had the likes of um guy leach on before talking about what the sport was like in the 80s and um, what it's like to, well, be one of the most famous sportsmen in the country and and end up going on Baywatch and all those sorts of things. So we just have a bit of fun with it. And it's called Around the Cans. You can get it at all uh, places where good podcasts are provided. So jump on and have a listen and give us some feedback and we love it. So, yeah, it's um, – it's not the world's greatest podcast, that's for sure, but we do our best. <laughs> well, that's a good approach. We're always uh, always looking to improve, but um, I think you know the way you. I think you sort of undersell yourself with uh, with your level of of sport, and I imagine it's the same with uh, with your podcast. <laughs> so, mate, appreciate uh, you being on the podcast. I'm looking forward to catching up next time I uh, come up your way. Beautiful Sunshine Coast, mate. You're always welcome, that's for sure. Thanks for having me on. And, um, yeah, if anyone's ever got any questions, just jump on the gram and hit me up and hopefully I can answer anything anyone has or if they want to give me some feedback, I'd uh, really appreciate it. And we'll put all those links at the bottom of the uh, the show notes and uh, people can can find you there. And, and what's, your, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, Joshy Minogue. So Joshy with a Y in there and um, yeah, not Kylie. So similar spelling, but yeah, <laughs> all enough. good. Love Thanks, it. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.